Okay, so um, we've been doing, we started doing some Pirkei Oves, and today is Lag Ba'emer as well, tonight is Lag Ba'emer, so we're going to try to put together the two of them, and uh, of course when we talk about Lag Ba'emer, the uh, primary name that comes to mind is Reb Shimon Bar Yechai, of course Lag Ba'emer has two major events, halachically, there's um, the disciples of Rabbi Akiva, who were passing away in a great plague, and Alag Ba'emer, that plague stopped. They were, did not pass away, so that was the first reason for the Simcha. And then you have the second reason, which uh, definitely Kabbalistically is the more powerful reason, and that is that is the passing of the great Tana, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was one of those, who was a disciple of Rabbi Akiva, and one of the five disciples that remained alive after Rabbi Akiva's passing. And it was, I'm sorry, one of the disciples that remained alive after the, uh, the passing of all the uh, disciples in the plague. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai remains alive, and he goes on to write the Zohar, the foundation of all uh, Primius Atayr, of all esoteric parts of Atayr, of Kabbalah, Hasidus. And Rabbi Shimon, before he passes away, says, tells his Talmudim, tells his disciples that this day should be celebrated um, as a day of tremendous simcha. And indeed it is. It's uh, like Bremer's this uh, tremendous day, as we'll talk about a little bit more. So, in connecting the two of Lag Ba'emer and Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, I'm sorry, of Pirkei Oves, Pirkei Oves and Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, Lag Ba'emer, so we look into Pirkei Oves chapter 4, Perak Dalet, which was the Perak that we learned this past Shabbos, and we find a teaching of Rav Shimon. Right? I'm, I'm a little out of order here because last week we talked about chapter 1 of Pirkei Oves, so this week should be 2, but we're skipping in order to deal with something specifically connected to Rabbi Shimon. We'll go back to chapter 2 as well, Mirza Hashem. So, chapter 4, Mishnah Yud Gimel. Chapter 4, the 13th Mishnah. Uh, there's first one statement of the Mishnah, but then the statement I want to focus on is the second statement of the Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon Omer. Rabbi Shimon says, when it says Rabbi Shimon plain in Mishnayis, it means Rabbi Shimon Bar Yuchai. Um, to be sure, there's more than one Rabbi Shimon amongst the sages of the Mishnah. But when it says Rabbi Shimon plain, typically it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So Rabbi Shimon Omer, Shleishek Sarim Haim, there are three crowns. Kasser Torah, there's the crown of Torah, of the study of Torah, of learning Torah. Kasser Kahuna, there's the crown of Kahuna, the Kohanim, the ones who served in the base of Mikdash, the ones who bench, who bless Klal Yisrael. So there's the crown of Kahuna. The Kesser Malchus, and then there's the crown of royalty, of kingship, of kingdom. Those are the three crowns, three crowns in, in Yiddishkeit. Three crowns, three, three special gifts and crowns that Hashem gives us, the crown of Torah, the crown of Kahuna, the crown of Malchus. And he finishes and says, The Kesser Shem Toiv Oila Al Gabehen. The crown of a good name is, raises up over them, above the, the initial three crowns. That's the Mishnah. So, again, there's three crowns, the crown of Torah, the crown of Kahuna, the crown of Malchus. And then he concludes that the, the crown of Shem Toiv, the crown of a good name, Oila al-Gabayan, uh, goes up higher, raises itself higher than the, the crowns, the other three crowns. That's the statement of Rabbi Shimon. Now this statement um, has an obvious question as soon as we look at it. And that is, and again, I know everyone here is uh, muted, but what's the obvious question when you read this Mishnah? It started off by saying there are three crowns. And then it tells us about four. Right? Because he said there are three, and he enumerated three. The Torah, the Kahuna, and the Malchus. But then he says, but the crown of the good name, you know, supersedes them all. Goes above all of them. So if there's also crown number four, the crown of the good name, um, even for those who are weak in mathematics, 
That's four, not three. So why did he start the Mishnah by saying that these are three crowns? That's a, that's a segue question into understanding the deeper meaning behind the statement of Reb Shimon. Um, another thing that we want to look into here is based on what we learned last week. Last week we discussed that the, the statements of the teachers of, of Mishnai, specifically of Pirkei Avis, are not just statements, but they're, they're actually really windows into the lives of those teachers. We talked about the fact that Pirkei Avis is called the chapters of our fathers, or the ethics of our fathers, because it's really a study of their lives. And we use a statement or two statements of each tzaddik, of each sage, the statement that they most personified, that they most lived. And therefore the question is, what is it about this statement that really tells the story of Reb Shimon Bar Yochai? Again, tonight is his night. Tonight is the night of his passing some uh, close to 1900 years ago. Um, but it's his night. So this Mishnah, which is his statement in Pirkei Avos, and also the statement with that uh, through tremendous Ashkacha Pratis, we read it in Pirkei Avos always surrounding the day of his passing. So what is it about this statement that tells us, um, that uh, encapsulates and gives us a glimpse into who this Sir Shimon Bar Yechai was. And especially, one might ask, if you look in the Gemara, Rav Shimon Bar Yechai was most known for his greatness in Torah. We'll talk about that soon. He was called one of those people that Torah umnasam. his entire involvement was Torah study to the exclusion of everything else. So Rav Shimon Bar Yechai is the ultimate master of Torah. And yet in this Mishnah, it almost sounds like he's putting Torah down a notch, saying Torah is great, Torah is great, Kahuna is great, Malchus is great, but there's something greater. The Kesa Shem Tov, the, the crown of the good name. How is it that the ultimate master of Torah um, is not championing his cause, so to speak, and talking about the Kesa Shem Tov? So these are all opener questions about the Mishnah. Again, to review, question number one is, why does he start by saying there's three crowns? And then he goes off to tell us that there are four. Um, point two was, how does this statement really tell us and um, give us a glimpse into the life and the nature of Reb Shimon Bar Yechai, what he stands for. And finally, if he stands for the champion of Torah, how is it that in this Mishnah, he seems to be talking about a different mile, a different advantage, the greatness of a good name. So, in order to understand that, I want to um, go through a little bit about Reb Shimon, a little bit about what was the uniqueness of this, who has to be one of the greatest of the Tanoim, of the sages of the Mishnah, one of the greatest of Sadiqim that we have. So, Rav Shimon Baichai represents, I started saying earlier, the one who is the shleimus, the, the highest level of Torah involvement. Um, the Gemara says in uh, Masech Shabbos, it talks about people who are involved in Torah to that level, that Torah is their entire being, their entire involvement, and it says those people don't even have to daven. He says, it says there that mafsikin Shema, those people have to stop in the morning just to say Shema, accept upon themselves the yoke of heaven. Ain mafsikin letfilah, they don't have to daven. Their level of Torah is so great that they don't even have to stop to daven. Amar Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yechanan says that this is not for everyone. This is only people like Rabbi Shimon ben Yechai v'chaveirav shetirasan umnasan. Even amongst the sages of the Mishnah, even amongst the great leaders of Torah, most of them weren't on this level of Torasan umnasan, that their entire involvement is only Torah. So when it says in the Mishnah that someone who's involved in Torah doesn't have to stop to daven, it's only Reb Shimon Bar Yechai and Chaveirav and his disciples or his, his, or his, not his, his colleagues, those who are at that level. Which tells us that Reb Shimon was at this, this tremendous, uh, this ultimate level of involvement in Torah. That's one statement. 
that talks about the extreme greatness of, or the extreme uniqueness of Rav Shimon. There's another Gemara, Gemara in Tractat Brachas, that talks about, uh, it says, on, on the one hand, there's a Pasuk that says, Lo yomish sefer ha-Torah hazem picha. It says by Yehoshua, that, that the, the words of Torah should never leave one's mouth. On the other hand, there's a Pasuk that says, we say in Shema, Vasafta diganacha v'sherecha v'sherecha, you should gather your crops, you should work your, harvest your field. So the Gemara discusses, how do you do both? How can a person constantly be studying Torah, and at the same time, a person has a job? How do you, how do you, uh, you know, how do you juggle? How do you juggle the two? So Reb Shimon Baruchai says, don't worry. Devote yourself 100% to Torah, Hashem will take care of you. That was Reb Shimon Baruchai's approach. He says, if one is truly devoted to Torah, to the exclusion of everything else, don't worry about it. That was what Reb Shimon Baruchai says. He says, um, Bizman If a person is so devoted to Hashem's will, your work will be taken care of. Don't worry about it. That was what Rosh says. Rabbi Yishmael says, he says, no, that's not possible. That doesn't work. He says, you got to work for a living and you have to set times to learn Torah. You set some time in the morning, set some time in the evening, but throughout the day, the Torah says, you got to work for a living. So here we have an interesting debate. Rabbi Yishmael says, you got to work for a living and learn some Torah. Rabbi Shemarach says, learn 100% of the time and Hashem will take care. So the Gemara finishes and says, Har Many people followed Rabbi Shemal's approach and worked and learned, and it works for them. But, what, but most people who try to do Rabbi Shemal by Chai's way, it doesn't work for them. It's not, the, it's not the way of regular people. It's not a typical way. So again, we see from this dialogue in the Gemara, the Rabbi Shimon represents the ultimate extreme, the ultimate extreme of 100% involvement in Kedusha. He couldn't, he couldn't understand anything else. Why, why would someone go to work? He says, 100% involvement. And that's why he's called Tirasa Yumnasai. He was on that level of those select few that are able to be, so to speak, totally removed from anything physical and material, just live this entirely um, spiritual, spiritual life. That's Rav Shimon. I'm trying to build Rav Shimon's uh, persona, who, who we're talking about. There's one more, one more Gemara that I want to say, a very fascinating statement. Um, Rav Shimon's teacher, as we said, was Rabbi Akiva. Right? Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, had the 24,000 disciples. He was Rav Shimon's teacher. Rav Shimon had a friend, a good chaver, who he studied together with under Rabbi Akiva, and that's Rabbi Meir, otherwise known as Rabbi Meir Balhanes. And actually, Rav Meir's yard site was a couple days ago, on, the, on Pesach Sheni, on the 14th of the year, four days ago, was Rav Meir's yard site. Rav Meir and Rav Shimon were chaverim, were colleagues who studied under the great Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara says in the Jerusalem Talmud, Talmud Yerushalmi, that it came time for Rabbi Akiva to give smicha to his two disciples, Rabbi Meir and Rav Shimon. And he brought them in front of him, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon. And again, both of these are the greatest sages of the Mishnah. Throughout Mishnah, you have Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon, the two most, probably the two most often mentioned Tanoim as Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Shimon. So, he calls them in, and Rabbi Kiva says, let Rabbi Meir rise first to receive this Micha. Now this would seem to be he's honoring Rabbi Meir, that Rabbi Meir should rise first, and after it will be Rabbi Shimon. And here the Gemara says something interesting. Rib Shimon's face turned red. Why did he turn red? 
Because Reb Shimon knew, he knew the truth, that he was on a much greater level, spiritually speaking, even than Rabbi Meir. And here his Rebbe, their Rebbe, Rabbi Akiva, is honoring Rabbi Meir first. And Reb Shimon, you know, we're talking about tremendous sadiqim, we're not talking about personal vendettas, but he didn't understand. He didn't understand how could it be that his teacher, Rabbi Akiva, is according the honor to Rabbi Meir first, where Reb Shimon knew that he was, he was the tzaddik at, at that time that, and was greater than Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Akiva noticed Rabbi Shimon's feelings. And Rabbi Akiva tells Rabbi Shimon, he says, Dayecha, it's enough for you, Sha'ani uboyrecha makirin bikoychach. It's enough that Hashem and me recognize who you are. Most people can't understand you. So Rabbi Akiva the Rebbe is saying, that most people, meaning most people, most tzaddikim, most of the disciples of Rabbi Akiva are not able to grasp who Rabbi Shimon is, the greatness of Rabbi Shimon, because he was so much head and shoulders above everyone that the people just didn't understand. People didn't, weren't able to see, weren't able to grasp the greatness because of how much greater he was even than the other tzaddikim of his generation. In fact, um, you know, today is like Omer, today, in, in, as we'll talk about it in, in Meiron, Rabbi Shimon's resting place. You have, you know, hundreds of thousands of Yidin coming together. And one of the songs that are sung on Lag Bomer are the praises of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. There's Bar Yochai and Mshach There's a number of songs that were written by Gedele Yisrael, by Tzadikim, that are the praises of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We don't find about any other Tzadik in history so many praises that are sung about him and said about him. Because Rabbi Shimon is this, 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 this amazing tzaddik. It says about him, he's the spark of the soul of Nisham of Moshe Rabbeinu. So all of the points that we've made so far talk about the ultimate holiness and greatness of Rabbi Shimon to the, even to the exclusion of all other tzaddikim of his time. That's Rabbi Shimon. The, the, the shleimus of, of learning Torah and total involvement in Kedusha, nothing else, nobody understands him. That's Rabbi Shimon. Then we have the famous story. Probably the, the most famous story about Rabbi Shimon is the 12 years that he spends in a cave. Right? Crazy story. Um, Rabbi Shimon, the uh, Roman, this is after the destruction of the Second Besamikdash, the beginning of the exile under the Romans, and the Romans put out a death sentence on, on Rabbi Shimon, and a search goes out for Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon has to run away, and he hides in a cave, together with the son of Lazar, who, as we know now, is buried together with him. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar spend 12 years in a cave, Hidden, doing one thing. Again, studying Torah. That's all they do. Day and night they study, they study their entire Torah, reveal parts of the Esoteric, parts of the 12, 12 entire years, and miraculously, a carob tree go, grows at the, uh, at the mouth of the cave, and a stream of water opens up in the mouth of the cave, and they live for 12 years, they subsist on carobs and water, and Torah study. Um, today in Israel, there's a place where they say that that's where the cave was, and there's a lot of carob trees there, and so on, and I've been there. But um, be that as it may. What happens at the end of the 12 years? I'll read a piece of Gemara, Gemara Masech Shabbos. says, um, after 12 years, Eliyahu Anavi comes, and he stands at the mouth of the cave. And he says, who's going to tell Rabbi Shimon that the, that the Roman Caesar died? The Roman Caesar died, and the death sentence has been lifted. So, for whatever reason, Eliyahu Navi doesn't go into the cave and tells it to them. He just stands at the mouth of the cave and sort of announces an open-ended statement. Who's going to tell Rabbi Shimon the Roman Caesar is dead? And the, uh, the, um, the decree has been lifted. No. And Eliyahu Navi goes on his way. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar hear this and they come out of the cave. What do they see? 
Well, they come out, they walk, they're walking out of the cave, two people who've gone into a cave 12 years ago and come out. What are they going to find? Cell phones? <laughs> they come out. So what do they see? They walk and they come to the fields and they see people are plowing and people are planting. They're doing what people do. They're harvesting, working for a living. Rabbi Shimon and Elazar, who are at this ultimate exalted state, you, reckon, you realize 12 years of just Kedusha, period. See, what are people involved with? Plowing and planting and re harvesting. They look at the people and they say, They're leaving everlasting life. They're leaving the involvement in Torah and mitzvahs and getting involved in harvesting and planting and plowing. And whatever they would look at would be burnt up. They were at that level, like, like Malachim, much higher than Malachim. And they couldn't handle, their eyes couldn't perceive, couldn't handle involvement in physical, involvement in the material, involvement in mundane. So much so, that wherever they looked, wherever they turned, there was someone planting, the whole thing burnt up. <laughs> the, the crops burnt up, the people burnt up. Wherever. People burned up? That's what, it's, that's what it seems. <laughs> it says, right. Not a very happy situation. Immediately a heavenly voice comes forth. A heavenly voice comes forth and says, Did you come out of the cave to destroy my world? Go back to the cave. Right? This is their welcome back to society. So the heavenly voice says, You, you want to destroy my world? Go back to your cave. Which they did. They returned to the cave. And they stayed there another 12 months, another entire year. And now they say, you know what, it's time to go back out again. In fact, the Gemara says, they say, that it says that even the wicked, when they go to Gehenna, is only one year. So he said, if a wicked go to Gehenna for one year, one year is enough for us to have been sent back to the cave, and they come back out. They look at it as a punishment? I don't know. But that's what it says. So, a heavenly voice comes forth and says, you're right, go out of the cave. They go out of the cave, and Rabbi Elazar, who's the son, remember there's Rabbi Shimon as the father, Rabbi Elazar is the son. Rabbi Elazar again looks around, and again he sees people involved in the mundane, and again things start burning up. But this time, Rabbi Shimon looks, and wherever Rabbi Elazar's look had a negative effect, Rabbi Shimon's look had a healing effect. And Rabbi Shimon tells his son, he says, Bini, my son, Daila Oilam Aniva Atta. It's enough for us to be on this exalted level of holiness that we're at. Let, let, let the people live the way they are. And that's the story. And that's how they were able to emerge from the cave and enter back into civilization. That's the story of Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar. So, but there's something very powerful about this story. On the one hand, you have people who, are, who have reached this level of Kedusha, this level of holiness, that they're just... The whole concept of physicality and the material, anything was, was so difficult for them, they couldn't handle it to the extent they destroyed it. A year later, Rabbi Shimon can suddenly handle it. And he could heal those there that his son hurt. Because Rabbi Shimon became higher or became lower? Did he ascend to a greater level of spirituality? Or did he descend and become a little more with it, a little more practical? And here the Rebbe explains and says, in that 13th year, Reb Shimon ascended and attained a much greater level of holiness. The level of holiness that doesn't destroy. The level of holiness that doesn't need to be exclusive and doesn't need to be so removed that it can't handle the world, the materialism, and the physical world. 
In other words, like this. And this is a very important point that I want to talk about here. After 12 years, Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Shimon had reached the highest level of Kedusha. They were just holy like Malachim and beyond. But there's an even greater level. The, the, the greater level than complete Kedusha is the ability to transcend the boundary and recognize that yes, there has to be tremendous Kedusha, but the point is that that Kedusha should be part of a physical world and that people live a physical lifestyle and that people work for a living and eat and sleep and have houses and cars and all those things. And it's not the job of the tzaddik to destroy and to remove and to, to try to get us all out of that, but to rather bring Kedusha into the world as we know it, into regular people, into regular places, to be able to connect, create a bridge from the highest level of Kedusha of Rabbi Shimon to the regular person on the street doing their regular mundane Avedah, so that Rabbi Shimon becomes not a destroyer, but a healer. Not someone who destroys with their intense Kedusha, but someone who's able to teach, inspire, help, pick up people in the place where they're at. And that's what Rabbi Shimon was telling his son. He's saying the job of the ultimate tzaddik is not to be just removed and an ultimate tzaddik in a place of Kedusha, but to bring that in, to connect that with the world and the world. And in fact, in a sense, that requires a level beyond um, the finite, to be able to bridge the ultimate Kedusha and the world and the worldly requires a level of the infinite, which interestingly is connected with the 13th year. Kabbalistically, 13 is a number that's connected to like the Yud Gimbi Sarachimim, the 13 bit and measures of Hashan's benevolence. Um, 12 is connected more to the world and the worldly, the 12 months of the year, a cycle. The 13 is beyond the worldly. And in that 13th year, of Shimon Barichai was able to reach that level, where he was able to bring the highest level of Kedusha into a very, into the world, into the worldly, and connect that to regular people. And in fact, what do we see after that? If you remember beforehand, we said, Rav Shimon was the one who said, how can you work for a living? You have to learn 24-7, right? And Hashem will take care. Later, Rav Shimon Barichai said, and this is in a different Gemara, Masech Manachis, it says, Rav Shimon said that if a person really has no time for Torah study, even if he just does Kriya Shema in the morning and Kriya Shema at the night, that's enough. He fulfilled their mitzvah. So the same Reb Shimon who earlier said, how can you even work for a living? How can you do anything aside from just daven and learn and that's it? The same Reb Shimon turns around and says that if a person doesn't have time, they're so busy, so even a little bit, a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night is enough for a person to connect to the Ebishter in the way that he can. And that's Reb Shimon. And that became Reb Shimon. Um, amazingly, Reb Shimon, who is this tzaddik of all tzaddikim, the greatest of all tzaddikim, his day is celebrated by every type of Jew, right? There is no other tzaddik in the entire history of Kal Yisrael, from the beginning until now, that the day of his passing is celebrated like Rav Shem Bar Yechai. There's no other gathering of Jewish people in the entire world every year like the gathering of Jewish people at Rav Shem Bar Yechai. Hmm. Because Rav Shem Bar Yechai was able to master this, this um, the bridge of the ultimate highest, the ultimate greatness, and to be able to draw that down and connect to everyone to the simplest, the lowliest, and see the beauty in the simple person, in the person that does work, and the person that's not so um, involved in Kedusha. And Shimon is able to bridge that gap. I've, I've said here in the past, but a story that I experienced myself, in the summers, we have the schutz of being in Tzfas, usually in Eretz Yisrael, and I try to go to um, Rav Shimon Bar Yichai, who's in Meiron, right, right next to Tzfas, I try to go, at least one, try to go once a week. 
So, and one time I was there, and I noticed a person standing there, a person with long, you know, long hair and everything, um, you know, yarmulke perched on top of his head. And I asked him if he, if he uh, you know, if he had a chance to put on tefillin that day. He said, no, put on tefillin. And I asked him, what's he doing here? Why is he by Rishim Barichai's spirit? Said, is there a simcha or something? He said, no. He said uh, he lived about an hour away. He says, I w-, he said, in Ivrit, Kamti Baboker, I woke up in the morning, and I, need, I, I felt a need to go to Rabbi Shimon. So I got into the car and came. <laughs> a fact, person not from, didn't, uh, didn't put on tefillin until I offered to put him on. But Rabbi Shimon had that, had that uh, connection, that ability, through thousands, today we're almost 2,000 years after his passing, and nevertheless was able to create and bridge that gap from the highest of all Madrigas, and to bring that down, um, and to bring it down to every, to every single person. And that's why it's really the yomtiv of every person. And it's a tremendously powerful day. Rabbi Shimon, of course, is the one who taught us the, uh, the, wrote the Zayhar, which is the foundation of all Pneumius HaTorah, of all um, the esoteric parts of Torah, which is known as the Torah, that, the Torah of Mashiach, the Torah that will be revealed primarily when Mashiach comes, as Rashi says. Um, and that's Rabbi Shimon. There's, a, there's another beautiful... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't bring it back. So how does this connect to our initial questions? Going back to the Mishnah and Pirkei office. Right? So Rabbi Shimon says, yes, there's crowns. There's Keser Torah, Keser Kahuna, Keser Malchus. All the crowns of, of Shlemus, of completion, of completeness, of highest levels of spirituality. And as we said, he represented the highest level of Torah. But he says, but ultimately, the Torah that one learns, the Kedusha that one attains is in order to connect to others with it, in order to help others. It's not about one just arriving and reaching to their highest level possible. The greatness of one's own Kedusha, the greatness of one's own Torah is, what can you do with that to help others, to inspire others and to connect to others? And that's what he talks about the crowns. He says there's the greatness of the crown of Torah, the greatness of the crown of Kahuna, the greatness of Malchus, but the crown of Shem Tov, a good name. He doesn't mean it as a separate crown. Remember we asked, then it's four, not three. The answer is, he's not talking about a separate crown. There's a crown of Torah, a crown of Kuna, and a crown of a good name. He says, the ultimate Torah is when it brings a good name to the person studying the Torah. Which means the ultimate of Torah is that the Torah that one learns is in order to help, in order to teach, in order to inspire, in order to connect. So the Torah is a Torah of a good name. Again, not that there is... Two separate things. There's the crown of Torah and also a crown of a good name. But he's saying that the Torah is only complete when the crown of the good name, Oyla al-Gabeim, rises up out of the Torah that one, lear- one learns. Out of one's personal high madrig or high level, they're able to help. They're able to reach out. They're able to connect to people on a much lesser level than them. That's when there is the completion of that Torah. And that's why this statement is the statement that that gives us a glimpse into who Rav Shimon Bar Yechai is, the one who's the ultimate Kesser, the ultimate crown of Torah, the crown of Kedusha, but in a way of a good name, in a way that he used that to help and connect to all those, to everyone, to every Yid who needed help in every way, and he's able to bring that tremendous Kedusha down to them, use his own Kedusha to help, inspire, uplift all the Yidin around him as well. There is a, um, a story about Lagba Eimer, about uh, Rishim Barichai that really tells this message very powerfully. It's a little bit of a tough story, but still a very powerful message, and the Rebbe would say the story a number of times, so I'll, I'll say over the, the story. And that is, many, many years after Rishim Barichai passes away, you have the Arizal. When I say many years, um, 1,400 years later, the Arizal lives um, in Sfas, similar areas to where Rishim Barichai was, 
And the Rizal is the great, great Kabbalist who's the ultimate teacher of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's teachings. Right? Rabbi Shimon Bar gave us the Zayar, but the Rizal expounds on it and expounds and teaches all the secrets of the Zayar. The Rizal had a group of disciples, and um, interestingly, they're called the Cubs, right? Because the Ari, Ari is the lion, he was known as the great lion. And his disciples are called in Hebrew the Gurei Ha'ari, the Cubs of the Arizal. Amongst them, a number of Sadiqim as well. And for Lagba Omer, every year, Reb Shimbar, the Arizal would take his disciples and they would go to Miron. In fact, they would celebrate in Miron three days for Lagba Omer. I don't know if it was a day in advance or starting from Lagba Omer, but it's written that three days they would be there and they would learn and they would daven and they would dance and they would be Sameach B'Simchasay Shal Rashbi. Again, Rav Shem Chai said, and it's written in the Zahir, that this day is the day of his Simcha. And he wants us to be Mesameach B'Simchasai, or as it's written in Sfarim, Mitzvah Gedoyla, it's a great mitzvah to be Sameach, to, be, to rejoice in the Simcha of Rav Shem And we know that by, their, by our Abeim, Lag Beim was a, tr- a day of tremendous Simcha. Tremendous Simcha, tremendous Bracha, a lot of Brachas. And it's, a, it's really a day to tap into. Anyways, so the story is that the Arizal uh, makes the trip, to Meron for Lag B'Omer with his disciples. One of the disciples of the Arizal, his name is Rabavram Halevi. His last name was Bruchim. Rabavram Halevi Bruchim. This Rabavram Halevi was also a tremendous tzaddik. But he had a specific avoda. You know, every tzaddik had his own avoda. His primary avoda was he would mourn for the Beis HaMikdash and mourn for the Churban and beg for Mashiach. That's what he did. That was his whole chayis. That was his whole energy. Um, the special tefillah that we say for the Churban, now most people don't say it, was Tikkun Chatzais, right? The midnight prayer was all about mourning for the Churban, for the for exile. Uh, Rav Ramalevi would go around Sfas and knock on all the windows by Chatzais by midnight. I don't know if he'd be very appreciated now. But he would wake up the community to come to say Tikkun Chatzais. This was his avayda. In fact, the Arizal said about this Talmud, Rav Ramalevi, that he's a Gilgul of Yirmiyo Anavi. Yimriyo was the Navi of the Churban, the one who, you know, the Lamentations and Eicha and Kinnas. So the Arizal explained that this disciple was a, um, was a Gilgul, was a reincarnation of Yimriyo Anyways, this is Rabbi Ramalevi. A lot of stories about Rabbi Ramalevi as well. But Sir Rabbi Ramalevi joins the entourage of the Arizal and they go to Meron for Lagbomer. Comes Lagbomer, Mincha, and he davens. And now there's a tefillah that we daven only once a year. This is a good quiz for Torah trivia. What bracha do we make one time a year? Only once. There's not a lot of such brachas. But one of those brachas is, one of the very few, is the bracha that we say in Shmon Esrei of Mincha on Mincha on in Shmon Esrei we add an extra bracha, which is the bracha of Nachim. We're asking Hashem for Nechama to comfort us from the suffering and from the Churban, from Golos, and bring Mashiach. We say it once a year. Again, in Mincha and Tishabah. This Rabbi Avram Alevi Bruchim said it every day when he davened. For him, every day was Tishabah. That's how he lived his life. His life was focused solely on the Churban Besamikdash, destruction, Golos, crying his heart out, his eyes out, every day. So every day in davening, he said Nachim. Comes Lagba Imer. And he comes to Miron, and he davens Mincha, and he, he, does his, he does his thing. And he says Nachim. But this was a big mistake. Reb Shimon Bar Yochai comes in a vision to the Arizal. And he says, this is the day of my Simcha. This is the day of my Yom Tov. And your Talmud is saying Nachim, like, which is a Tisha prayer, 
by me, you know, by my gravesite, unlike Ba'imer on the day of my simcha. I, I, he says that's, I don't know what the words that he used. I wasn't part of that vision. But he, there was, it was hurtful to Rabbi Shem Bar Yechai. And it's written that Rabbi Ram HaLevi um, went through something very severe. He lost a son. A son passed away to Rabbi Ram HaLevi because of that incident. That's the story. Now, that's a harsh story, obviously. But what's the idea of the story? And what's the idea that the Rebbe would say when he would say over the story? Just think about it. What did he do wrong? He was crying for the Churban Besamikdash. He was crying for Golos. Now, we are in Golos. Mashiach is not here yet. And there's what to cry about. So what did he do? What was the problem? Why was Rav Shimon Bar Yechai so hurt, so upset? How, in what way did he, did he uh, in some way, um, disrespect Rav Shimon Bar Yechai and Lag Baimer? And the Rebbe explained. He says, Rav Shimon Bar Yechai, as we said before, was this ultimate tzaddik. He was one of the tzaddikim that for him, it's like he always lived the life of Geula. Even in Golos, even when he was hiding in a cave, he was always above it all. He was the master of the secrets of the Torah. The secrets of the Torah, as we said before from Rashi and Shira Shirim, is the Torah of Mashiach. In other words, he was able to live a Geula life, no matter where he was, no matter what circumstances he was in. And on his day of celebration, everyone is meant to join him where he's at. It's a day of Yom Tev. It's a day of Rav Shem Bar Yichai. It's a day of Geula. So for someone to come and say, but, but I'm not holding there. I don't feel it. And I'm going to do it my way. And I feel Golos. And I'm going to focus on Golos. On Lagba Omer, especially in Meron, this was held very much against this person. And the idea is that, of course, all of us, and we're not Rav Shem Bar Yichai, we're not Rav Ram Halevi, we're regular people. But we all have our things that there's what to cry about, so to speak. We all, we all have our, the Golos side of things, which is very powerful. We're very much in Golos, and there's terrible things that happen in the world, and there's things internally and externally, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of Golos around us, and there's a lot of room to be sad about Golos, and to cry for Golos, and so on and so forth. But a Yid also has the ability, especially in special times, and especially in a time like Lag Boimer, to hold on and connect to the tremendous tzaddikim that live in a place that's higher than all that. And to live and celebrate with them in their level, even if we're not quite there yet. And that's what Rav Shem Barichai is. Rav Shem Barichai, as we said, represents the one who's the ultimate tzaddik, the great tzaddik, the keser Torah, the keser kuna, the keser malchus, the crown of, of it all, but the ability to bridge the gap and let us connect to him as well. He connects to us, allows us to connect to him. He asks us to be sameach in his simcha. He asks us to connect to him on his special day. And that's Rav Shem And that's what the Rebbe would um, bring out when he would say this story, that although the Talmud wasn't on that level, but it was expected of him on this day to connect to a level of the tzaddik or Rishon Bar Yechai and so, and so to speak, leave our own limitations for the moment, for the day, and connect to that tzaddik on this tremendous special day. And that's why, again, I mentioned earlier that the Rabbeim, it's written, Hayyim of tomorrow, it was a day of tremendous bracha, all, to, all different types of brachas, especially when it comes to children and so on. It says that the Rabbeim um, was the day of brachas and the day of nisim, um, if there would suggest people who are able to to go to the oil on that day. It was a, a tremendous special day of Simcha, um, the day of Rav Shem Bar Yechai. You know what? I'll say, I'll say one more Rav Shem Bar Yechai story. Also with, this, with the same idea, same powerful concept. It says 
As also the Gemara, the Gemara in Masechta Ma'id Katan says, Reb Shimon Bechai told his son Elazar when his son Elazar was a young boy, he told him to go get some brachas from some tzaddikim of the generation. Reb Shimon Bechai was obviously the ultimate tzaddik, but it seems even in those days, a son, you know, you go to someone else first. So but he sent his son to two tzaddikim. One was called, um, one of his name is Rabbi Yehuda ben Geirim and Rabbi Yonason ben Amasai. Two tzaddikim. So Rabbi Lazar goes to these tzaddikim. And, um, but lo and behold, as the Gemara relates, instead of blessing him, they give him a number of curses. <laughs> Just one after the other. In fact, the Gemara gives them, they're pretty bad curses. You know, family's going to die, and this is going to die, and this is going to, like, really bad stuff. So he left quite unhappy with what he had received by them. And he comes home and he says, Ta, no, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> that didn't work very well. I went to these two tzaddikim and they cursed me instead of blessing me. So Reb Shimon says, what did they tell you? And he went through, they said A, they said B, they said C. Reb Shimon smiles, he sits down with his son, and he says, let me explain to you how every one of those curses is really a bracha. And he goes through step by step. Curse A, it's not a curse, it's really a bracha. It's just, it's hidden in a curse, but it's really a bracha. And he was able to decipher the brachas behind the curses. One by one, he went through that with them. That's the story of the Gemara. And so at the end, the son said, thanks, okay, fine, now I get it. Did the rabbis mean to curse him or bless him? Ah, so that's the question, we'll see. But this is, the, again, this is the story. The story is, they give him this litany of curses, he comes back crying, he sits down with his father, and his father reveals to him the blessings within each one of those curses. Now, that's the story of the Gemara, which begs the obvious question, <laughs> what's going on? If they wanted to bless him, why didn't they just bless him? Why did they tell him curses, and he has to go home, and his father's going to reveal the blessings? What, what, what was the charades? What's going on? And of course, there's different commentaries. The Semach Tzedek, the third Rebbe, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, the Semach Tzedek explained, he says, based on what it says in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe talks in Tanya in chapter 26, he talks about the fact that in life, sometimes we feel terrible things happen, and we see terrible things happen, and we're very brokenhearted. And yet we have the famous statement of the Gemara that how is a Yid supposed to look at the terrible things that happen? Though it's painful and though we cry and though we ask Hashem that this shouldn't happen again. But essentially at the end of the day, what do we believe? That if Hashem is doing it, we say, Gam Zulatova. That this is for the good. That's what we say. We close our eyes. We, um, I say, we, 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 we say it. Baruch Dayan Amos, Gam Zulatova. Although it's painful and we don't understand it and we don't like it. But we believe that Hashem is a loving Father, and if He's doing it, it's got to be for the good. But then why does it feel so bad? Right? And of course, there's going to be more than one answer to that question. Why, do, why does goodness feel bad sometimes? If we believe everything is good, if everything that comes from Hashem is ultimately good, why does it feel bad? And the Altareb explains in Tanya, because it's a goodness that's coming from such a high, powerful place that we are not vessels to appreciate the goodness. It's a tough concept, but that's what he says. He says, and I'll give a very simplistic example. If you have a great, brilliant teacher that's teaching a very, very brilliant class to, to disciples that don't understand it all at all because they're too small, they're, they're, the great the college professor is teaching second grade, so the kids think that's ridiculous. He's just saying nonsense. But really, he's saying very profound things. They just don't get it because it's too deep for them. And the Alter Rebbe Tanya says that, and he says it very clearly and very strongly. He says, we have to understand this, that yes, things hurt. Hurting doesn't mean that something is bad. 
Hurting means that I am not in the place where I can understand and appreciate what's going on. So for me, it's hurtful. It's a, it's a, it's a hard concept, but it's actually a very simple concept, and it's a very, very true concept, though it's painful. I'm sorry? Okay. So though it's painful, but that's what it means. When will we actually be able to see everything? When will we be vessels to be able to receive all that goodness and understand it for what it is? When Mashiach will come. At that point, we'll be at a place where we'll be able to appreciate the benefits of the great light that ultimately is pain, that all that I'm sorry that until then is painful. A very again, a very another practical example is sunlight. Sunlight is the sun is the source of light and the source of warmth and the source of life and everything. But when we look straight into the sun, it's blinding. It's not blinding because it's bad, because it's weak. It's blinding because it's too strong for my eyes. And that's what, the, that's what Tanya says. That the goodness of Hashem, that's the greatest goodness, the highest form of goodness, comes down in painful ways. That is a Hasidic idea. It's a tough idea. It's not an idea that we necessarily appreciate, but it's an idea that helps us understand what's going on. Now, those tzaddikim, that Rabbi Elazar, again, Elazar is the son, that are blessing Rabbi Elazar, they wanted to draw down upon him the highest, most powerful blessings. The ones that we can't really handle. So they had to draw them down in this disguise of curses. Again, for the same concept, the same idea, which is the higher something is, the less we have the abilities, the capacities, the vessels to handle it. So they wanted to give him, to bring him to that place, to connect him to that place. And the only vehicle they had to do that is by saying these words that seemed like curses. Now, did they mean that those curses should literally befall him? I don't know. But that's what the Samasetic explains. They were using that same concept of the highest level, which we call almond discassia, the highest levels of godliness, that come down in a way that for us is difficult, and that's why to his ears, they were curses. Okay. Says the Rebbe, fine. Then why was Rebbe Shema Bar Yochai able to explain them? Because he was high up there. If, if, they, if you can't bring them down unless they're curses, how did Rebbe Shimon explain? And the answer is what we're learning here. Because Rebbe Shimon was at that level. Mm-hmm. Where, like we say, when Mashiach will come, we'll be at the level that we can handle it. Rib Shimon was always there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we said earlier. Rib Shimon was one of, one of those souls, that it's, it's the, the wording that's used in, in the Maimarim is, that for him, the Gullus never happened. He was in a state of Geula, a state of oneness with Hashem. Wherever he was, in a cave for 12 years, he was one with Hashem there too. And therefore, for him, he saw the blessing in everything. He saw right through the disguise. He was able to appreciate and experience that blessing wherever he was. But that's not enough. Not only did he see it, he was able to explain it to his son. And that's where we come into the picture. And that connects to what we said earlier. Reb Shem Barichai was this level of tzaddik that not only he reached that level, and he was the ultimate. Going back to our Pirkei Aves, the Keser Shem Tov Olal Gabeyan, Reb Shem Barichai was the one that brought his level and connected it to us. He was able to reveal to us that we should also be able to see or connect to blessings within curses. He brought us, Rav Shem wasn't just the one who knew all the secrets of the Torah, he also taught all the secrets of the Torah. He also gave us the Zayar. On the last day of his life, tonight on Lagba Omer, in the year of his passing, it says, he called his disciples and he said, tonight I'm going to reveal to you revelations that, I've never, that were never revealed in the world before. 
In other words, when he reached his highest level, as you know, Tzadik on the day of his passing reaches his highest level, he didn't use it to, where could I go with it, but what could I give with it? And there's an entire section of the Zahar called the Idra, what he taught that night, and it talks about how the fire surrounded the house that night. Unbelievable stuff that happened until he passed away while he was talking. He said the word Chaim, and his soul, his soul departed. And that's from Shem Bar Yechai. The greatest of all Tzadikim, but the one who didn't, his greatness didn't make him more distant than all Tzadikim, but the one that that greatness was able to filter down and connect to Klal Yisrael, to each and every Yid, and not just in his generation, but for all generations. So much so that 1900 years later tonight, Klal Yisrael celebrates Rav Shem Barichai, connected to the teachings of Rav Shem Barichai, especially by us learning Hasidus, which is a direct extension to his teachings. And that way, Mir Sashem, with the schus of Rav Shimon, the, uh, the Gemara says, um, it, it, it's a, it's a, uh, there's a halachic discussion and it says, it's one opinion, it's another opinion. So it says, Kedaihu Reb Shimon Lismech Alav Bishas Hadchak. Which literally means, in a difficult situation, you can rely on Reb Shimon's opinion. So that's really a halachic discussion. But the Rebbe would say that that's a much uh, more broad teaching, that we can all rely on Reb Shimon Bishas Hadchak in a time of difficulty, in a time of Golos, in a time of difficulty in our personal lives. In the, uh, and there is so much difficulty. And Hashem should help that the schus of Reb Shimon, the schus of the great Tanah of Reb Shimon and our celebration with him tonight, she should be able to bring the gilui of his Torah, which is the primus of Torah, the secrets of Torah, which will, which will bring about. And as the Zayar itself writes, in the Zayar it's written, with this book of the Zayar, will go out of Golos, Berachem, with Hashem's mercy, may be Bikarev even today, and like Baimer, to go out of Golos and meet with all of Reb Shimbarech and all of Sadiqim, the Rabbeim, and uh, go to the great Simcha of the Gula Shlem with the coming of Mashiach Zidkeinu. Amen. Thank you.